Well, good evening. We're glad you tuned in to the broadcast tonight from Whitfield Baptist Church. I'm Pastor Wayne Cofill, and I'm so excited about having Dr. Dan Reed preach for us uh, this night on revival. This is a recording of his revival in 2018 at our church. And last year in October, God called Dr. Dan Reed home, but he, he still lives on in his messages and his, and his, his family and, and all the people that he's touched. So I hope that you'll enjoy this message tonight on revival from Dr. Dan Reed. Well, the Bible says in Psalms 118, verse 17 and 18, I'd like to uh, introduce our preacher. He's not a speaker, he's a preacher, amen? I think a speaker is an after-dinner speaker. This is a preacher. And I want, to, I want him to introduce himself by reading something out of his book that I read today. It was a real blessing to my heart. Psalms 118, verse 17, 18 says, I shall not die, but live, and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me sore, but he has not given me over unto death. The Lord gave me these verses, Brother Reeds wrote, sometime after my heart operation in 2003. I had quadruple bypass surgery and during the operation, my heart swelled such that the surgeon could not close my chest. For two days, my chest laid open until my heart reduced in size such that my chest could be closed. And twice my heart gave out on the table, but was revived. Amen? On many occasions, we have had prayer meetings calling men together to pray in times of emergency. And Donna asked a number of men to hold a prayer meeting during the, this time and I am convinced my life was spared in the answer to prayer. This all happened during our building program in November of that year, just after we got into our new auditorium. I was taken back to the emergency room and told after a cath test that two of my grafts had failed. My cardiologist told me at the time that he did not understand why all of this had happened to me since I had no real history of heart disease in my family. And I did not have... Uh, high triglyceride and cholesterol, and I certainly was not overweight. Amen for that. And I decided if, if he did not know why it happened, I would try to find someone who could. And Donna and I took a trip to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota, and they did a thorough series of tests on me, and still nothing was found except some blood abnormality. And long, uh, make a long story short, after returning and continuing to see my health deteriorate, it was determined that I had Fabry's disease, a genetic disorder that eventually destroys the organs of the body by clogging up the arteries of the body. And the average man with this disease normally only lives to the age of 41. It was about that time that God gave me these verses. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord is chasing me sore, but he has not given me over into death. To me, it was assurance that my ministry was being prolonged and that he would allow me more time to declare his wonderful word. And aren't you glad that God has spared his life to preach the word like he has the last three services? Amen. And I hope you didn't mind me reading that, brother, but I believe it's a testimony that he's going to preach until God calls him home or until God calls us all home at the rapture. Amen. Thank God for Brother Reed. You pray for him, back him up while he preaches. Amen. God bless you, brother. Thank you so much. Amen. And I 
use those verses one day a week in my devotions and uh, keep reminding myself that God's been good and uh, He's always good. I really am a walking miracle. Anybody with my disease, the disease that I have, which is a genetic disease, uh, the males usually live to be about 41, and uh, I'm, I'm 66. Amen. I know you would never have guessed that, but <laughs> I'm <am> 66, <laughs> and God's been good to me. When I uh, had that operation, I, we were just getting into our new building, we were just about into it, and I went into my office for the first time. And it was beautiful. I'd never had anything quite like that in my ministry. It was just beautiful. And I said, God, just let me live a little while and enjoy this. And uh, he did. And I'm so, so grateful that he did. I'm, I, I think about an old preacher by the name of Uncle Buddy Robinson. Did you ever hear of Uncle Buddy Robinson? He, he spoke with a lisp. He couldn't talk straight. He talked with a lisp. And one day he was out on the road. He was a wonderful Nazarene preacher, greatly used of God. He was out on the road walking, and a lady hit him with a car, knocked him down to the side of the road, looked like he was dead. And she jumped out of the car and said, I've killed a man, I've killed a man, I've killed a man. She walked over to him and looked at him, and he wasn't moving. She said, I've killed a man. He looked up at her and said, no, you ain't. He said, I ain't dead yet. God not finished with me yet. <laughs> and so I guess God wasn't finished with me. Amen. And I'm, I'm glad for that. I read about a little girl who asked her mother, said, uh, how did we get here? And the mother said, well, God made Adam and Eve from the dust of the earth. And, and uh, then the rest is history. And uh, so she went to her daddy after a while and said, how did we get here? He said, well, we started a little amoeba, and that thing evolved, and after a while we became a monkey, and after a while we became a man. Hmm, she's thought about that. After a while, she went to her mama and said, Mama, Daddy said we came from monkeys, and you said God made us. She said, the mother said, well, Daddy told you about his side of the family, and I'm telling you about mine. <laughs> So that's a good one when you have an evolutionist in your family. You can. I want you to turn to John chapter 3 in your Bible. I sure have enjoyed being with, with you, and you've sure made me feel welcome. Certainly appreciate your prayers. I have to be honest with you, I was dreading this meeting, not because I don't love to preach and not because I don't love your pastor and this church, but I was just dreading the physical taxing of the meeting, but God has strengthened me in the meeting. I mean, just, it's amazing how much your spirit has to do with your body. That's amazing. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit, who can bear? And I notice how much my spirit bears on my body. It just gives you um, a strength. Uh, to go when your spirit is encouraged. And I've been greatly encouraged by being here this week. John chapter 3. I'd like to read eight verses. The Lord uh, 
put this text on my mind early this morning. And I hope it will be a blessing to you and God will do something. I hope you came expecting God to do something. Anytime God gives true faith about something, He gives expectation with it. When you've got expectation, you know God's, God's about to do what you've believed Him for. John chapter 3, very familiar passage. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. And this is my text. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. But canst not tell whence it cometh, or whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. And I want to speak to you tonight on the subject, the Holy Spirit and the wind. The Holy Spirit and the wind. And our Heavenly Father, we're so grateful you allowed us to be here this week. So grateful for the moving of Thy Spirit already in these meetings. And our Father, we pray that we'd give You free reign tonight to move. We promised You, dear Lord, many of us, that we'd do what You told us to do this week. And I pray You'd speak to us today. In this meeting, speak behind the preacher. Speak to the hearts of the people. And we'll thank You. In Your name we pray it. Amen and amen. Somebody has said, truth out of balance is heresy. And I think that's true. This is a big book. It's got a lot of things in it. It has to be taken in balance. And if we get truth out of balance, we become heretics. G. Campbell Morgan, the great preacher of London, said truth always flies on two wings. You never saw a bird flying with one wing. It takes the other wing to be balanced. And truth is like that. You find one truth in the Bible, then you find a balancing truth over here. For example, the Bible says man is depraved. We know that. Man's born a sinner. He's depraved. But the Bible also talks about the dignity of man. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Yes, he's a sinner. Yes, he's depraved. Yes, we deserve hell. And yet we're made in the image of God, dignified in the sense. We have to keep those things in balance or we we become heretics on one side or the other. Again, G. Campbell Morgan said, the whole truth does not lie in it is written, but the whole truth lies in it is written and again it is written. In other words, every verse is balanced by every other verse in the Bible. Any biblical truth is always balanced by other biblical truths. A.W. Tozer said it takes a whole Bible 
to make a whole Christian. I read through my Bible every year. I have every year since I was saved. Over 46 times now. I read it through. It takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. You can't build yourself on just a little part of the Bible. If you're going to be a balanced Christian, you've got to take the whole Scriptures, all of it, whole Bible to make a whole Christian. Somebody else has said, what God has joined together, the Lord Jesus said it, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. I know that's talking about marriage, but it applies to many other things also. There are many things in the Bible that are joined together that if you try to break them apart, you're going to become a heretic. For example, I believe in eternal security. I know you do too. I believe we're saved and saved forever. But I don't believe in eternal security without holiness. You see, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man will see the Lord. And yes, we're saved and saved forever, but we're also saved to be like Him. We're saved and to be sanctified. I believe justification and sanctification go together. You can't be justified without becoming sanctified after a while. They go together. What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Everything in the Bible is important. And to produce godliness, we must have it all. For example, human responsibility and divine sovereignty go together. You can't part them. You can't make them be apart. They go together. They walk hand in hand. They're like two railroad tracks. You can't make them meet, but yet they join in the horizon. When we see it in a distance, they'll join it in eternity. We can't seem to make them meet now, but human responsibility is a Bible doctrine, and also divine sovereignty is a Bible doctrine. Somebody said to Spurgeon, said, how do you reconcile human responsibility, the freedom of the will, with divine sovereignty? He said, I never try to reconcile friends. They're not enemies. God knows how to work them together. We don't. We don't understand it, but God knows how to work them together. If divine... If divine sovereignty is preached to the neglect of human responsibility, what, is you, what you get is lazy, irresponsible Christians. That's what Calvinism tends to produce, is a lazy Christian, because it's divine sovereignty without human responsibility. And yet they go together. If you take divine sovereignty apart from human responsibility, you get lazy Christians. But if human responsibility is preached to the neglect of divine sovereignty, what you get is mechanical Christians. What you get is rote Christians. What you get is those who have a form of religion but without the power thereof. A legalistic Christian who goes just by this and this and this. There's, there's, there must be the balance of human responsibility and divine sovereignty. I'm afraid in our day and time, in our circles, we have preached and taught so much about human responsibility and man's part in believing that we've neglected the absolute necessity of the regenerating of the Holy Spirit of God in the new birth. But there must be two things for the new birth to take place. There must be, first of all, the Word of God. And second of all, the Holy Spirit. There must be those two together. 
you see. There are many people that know the Word of God, and yet God has not birthed them into the kingdom because the, the aspect of the Holy Spirit has been missing at least this far in their life. What has been produced, I'm afraid, is mechanical faith, logical, deductive faith in a lot of people that has no power. No power whatsoever. Paul said to the Thessalonians, for our gospel came not to you. Listen now. Our gospel came not to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit of God. There must be, not just the word, there must be the regenerating, moving, influencing power of the Holy Spirit of God for a person to be born into the kingdom of God. What good is a pair of skis to a man with no legs? What good is, is some gloves to a man who has not the use of his hands? There has to be that energizing power that God gives to us through the Holy Spirit of God. What good is a church full of people labeled saved, but without the power of the Holy Spirit of God? We sometimes have a name that we live, but we're dead. There's a name, and it's happened throughout history that people get into the, to the rhythm of, of, of religion. They learn how to say all the words. They learn how to repeat all the phrases. They learn how to do all the right things. They learn how to fit into the right places. But there's not the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Whitfield experienced when he came to the States. The congregational churches had baptized all these people as babies and they came into the church under the halfway covenant and they thought they were okay. And, and George Whitfield began to preach this verse, you must be born again. There has to be experimental religion. It's not just in the head. It has to be something that affects the heart and the, and the actions and the person and the Holy Spirit of God has to do it. And multitudes in the churches began to get saved and that was what the Great Awakening was all about. Nicodemus was a religious ruler, a pious, and you know the story, a morally good man. And Jesus said to him, you must, you must be born again. Nicodemus couldn't understand that. How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into it? He didn't understand it. And Jesus used the comparison of the wind. The wind blows where it listeth. And you hear the sound thereof, but you can't tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. The Holy Spirit in the Bible is compared to many things. And by the way, you know, I, I, I think if there was one person of the Trinity that we tend to neglect, it's the Holy Spirit. That's right. We talk a lot about God the Father. Yes. We talk a lot about God the Son. But God is, the Holy Spirit is just as much God as the other two persons of the Trinity. Amen. And many times he's neglected. Now, by the way, if you want to grieve somebody out of your midst, neglect them. Right. Neglect them. Sure. Just say very little to them. Let them come up in a crowd and you just neglect to even look at them. Even, and, and when we neglect the Holy Spirit, 
many times we drive him right out of our churches because sometimes we fear Pentecostalism or we fear a fanaticism. We fear wildfire. And the whole time we're going into the deep freeze when we neglect the Holy Spirit of God. We must have the moving of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit in the Bible is compared to fire. He's compared to oil. He's compared to water. He's compared to dew. There's no one object lesson that will teach everything there is to teach about the Holy Spirit of God. But the Holy Spirit is compared to wind several times, many times in the Bible. In, uh, for example, in Acts chapter 2, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, all of them, the 120, the Bible says there was a sound as of a rushing, mighty wind. I don't understand all of that. I don't know exactly what all happened, but there was a rushing, mighty wind. At least there appeared to be so or, or sounded to be so. In John 20, when Jesus came among the disciples after his resurrection, the Bible says he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. I'm saying to you that many times he's compared to wind in the, in the Bible. Uh, the uh, Hebrew and Greek words, both of them for, hope, for spirit, are the words for wind. Pneuma in the Greek, from which we get our word pneumatic or pneumonia, speaking of air or breath, that's the same word for the Holy Spirit, the holy wind of God. God blows, that's the wind of the Holy Spirit. The wind is air in motion. It cannot be grasped with a hand or seen with the eye. Nevertheless, the wind is real. And we know it's real. And so it is with the Holy Spirit of God. So the third person of the Trinity is God's moving, leading, guiding, regenerating hand that cannot be seen nor grasped. But to those of us who've come up under His personality, we know He's real. Amen. We know He's real. Right. Romans 8, 9 says, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. He's none of his. I want to show you tonight some parallels between the wind and the Holy Spirit of God. Number one, there's mystery in the wind. Mystery in it. He said you can't tell whence it cometh. Or whither it goeth. Whether men can tell a wind is coming, but exactly where it comes from and how far it's going to go, where it's going to stop. When a tornado's coming, they don't know where it's going to touch down. You have these tornado chasers. They have to stay out of its way, but try to check. They don't know where this thing is going. We don't always know where a wind is coming from or where it's going. Cold breezes can blow from the north today and a warm breeze from the south tomorrow. There's mystery in the wind. Mystery. There's an unknown factor about all of this, you see. That was the question of Nicodemus. How can this be? How can a man be born again? How can this be? Who in the Jerusalem church, may I ask you, would have ever guessed that Saul would get saved? Who was trying to witness to him? Who was trying to reach him? 
They were staying as far away as they could. But somewhere God came down, Christ came down, and the Holy Spirit birthed Saul into the kingdom of God. Nobody would have ever guessed that, you see. Most unlikely candidate for conversion that there was was Saul. And yet, like the wind, we can't predict. Right? You couldn't predict when he came on your life. You couldn't tell when the Holy Spirit came into your life and began to work on you. How could we ever understand how the Holy Spirit fell on a young virgin girl and the incarnation of the Lord Jesus took place? How do we ever understand that? I don't, I don't pretend to understand it, and I don't have to understand it. There's mystery in it. And by the way, you better not take the mystery out of the Bible. You can't know everything about God. And you better not try to know everything. God has hidden some things about Himself. And part of that is the mystery of the Holy Spirit of God. How was it that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb? Oh, I'd like to have a kid like that, wouldn't you? <laughs> Filled from his mother's yeah. womb, he was. When you begin to predict everything that God does, when you begin to put God in a box like we like to do and say, he does this when we do this, and he does this when we do this. When you put God in a box, you have lost God. God has some mystery about him, and particularly the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God. Romans 11 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been His counselor? For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. 1 Timothy 3.16, Without controversy, Great is the mystery of godliness. And 1 Timothy 3.9, holding the mystery of the faith in a good conscience. I don't even know where my faith came from. I don't really remember the time God began to draw me. I just know there were times I'd heard the gospel many, many, many times. And one night... The Holy Spirit got a hold of me. And I heard for the first time and it took root in my heart. There's a mystery in all of that. There's mystery in the Holy Spirit. Second of all, there's variety in the wind. Sometimes it blows gently. Very soft and mild. Very pleasant. Other times it's rugged and rough and cold and wintry and you pull your jacket up about you. It's so difficult to handle the wind in some of those times. Scripture speaks of a mighty wind. It speaks of a vehement east wind. It speaks of a rushing mighty wind. It speaks of a south wind, of a stormy wind. Just as you can't predict the origin of the wind, neither can you predict the kind of wind. God's workings are very varied. What happened in you may not happen in somebody else. It's all different. How God drew you may not be how God draws another person. The wind is very varied, you see. Who shall abide the day of thy coming? He's like refiner's fire and fuller's soap. I think sometimes when we pray for the fullness of the Holy Spirit 
or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I believe those terms are interchangeable. If you differ with me, I won't argue with you, but I, I believe they're interchangeable. I know there's a different baptism and so forth, but the old men used to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. D.O. Moody did, R.A. Torrey did. The baptism, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes we don't know exactly what we're praying for when we pray for Him to fill a place or to fill us. He's like refiner's fire. He's like the fuller's soap. When He comes, there's going to be a cleansing. When He comes, He's going to, like fire, He's going to purge some things out of our midst, you see. God operates, operates sovereignly. Sovereignly. A little vessel sitting out on an ocean somewhere, not moving except with the tide and with the waves, may pray for the wind to come. They may say, Lord, send the wind. But if a heavy wind comes, if it's a little vessel, he better have a deep keel or he'll blow that vessel all away. He'll blow it slap over, you see. Vance Havner, the great old evangelist, said, we'll never have another deep revival with such a shallow bunch of Christians. We've got to get our keel deep for God to do a work, a deep work amongst us. If you're here tonight lost, it's not for you to decide how God's going to move on you. It's just for you to hoist your sails of faith when He begins to move and say, God, save me. God, save me. There's variety in the wind. It's simply us to, uh, up to us to, li to listen and to feel the Holy Spirit's power and to do as He says. I've been in a lot of doctor's offices in the last 15 years. I don't tell those nurses when they come out of that door and call my name. I don't tell them, say it loud. I don't tell them, to tell them it, just be soft about it. I just make sure I keep my eye on that door so I can see when they come out and call me because I don't hear very well. And if you miss her, she may not call you twice. You better be careful about the Holy Spirit. You better listen. There's variety in the wind. Third of all, there's life in the wind. How does the wind give life? Did you ever read the story in Ezekiel 37 of the dry bones? Interesting. All of those dry bones out there in the valley. He said, prophesy to those bones. Ezekiel, prophesy. He said, can these bones live? <laughs> Ezekiel was smart. Ezekiel said, God knows. <laughs> I don't know, but God knows. By the way, it's good for you to say that sometimes. I don't know, but God knows. Sometimes we really don't know. Ezekiel said, God knoweth. And then he began to do what God said. He prophesied. And then God said, don't just prophesy to the bones. Prophesy to the wind. Spurgeon said we're to preach to the people and pray to the Spirit. And so it is. We're to be praying to the Spirit of God. Those bones began to live. Scripture speaks of the seed of the Word of God giving life. But in nature, it's not, just the, it's not just the seed. The wind carries that seed. 
and it germinates in other places. The wind helps to give germination and to give life. You can't be saved without hearing the Word of God. But isn't it amazing how many times a person can hear the gospel and not be saved? Because it takes the Holy Spirit of God to move on our hearts to win us to Himself. To germinate that seed. Oh, the Holy Spirit has to blow upon the seed. I remember hearing the gospel from the mouth of my mother when I was seven years old. I remember where we were driving to go get groceries. And she told me the gospel. I asked her a question. I still remember what she said. I knew the gospel. I sat in the church. I heard it. But it was when I was 21 years of age sitting in a pew right over about there, that the preacher preached and something began to move. And God told me, you're not saved. You know all the right words. You told the preacher when you came in, you were saved, but you're not saved. And I went home and God saved me. It took the power of the Holy Spirit of God To say, and I want to tell you, I believe there's a lot of people that come into our churches during dry times and we're out there winning people to Christ. We're out there giving them the gospel. But many of them won't get saved truly until the power of God comes in revival and moves upon their heart. You mark this down. Every revival in history, the people that began that revival were people well-trained in the Scripture. From the Great Awakening to the Second Awakening to the revival on the Isle of Lewis, those were Scottish Presbyterians on that island. They had family devotions every morning, every family, because you couldn't be a member of the church in that day in, in the Scottish Presbyterian church without it. And yet many of those kids grew up knowing the Bible, knowing the Bible, and they never had a new birth experience where God, the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, had taken that word and applied it to their heart. First Corinthians chapter two, Paul said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, testifying unto you the gospel of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Listen, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Fourth of all, there's sovereignty in the wind. The wind blows where it listeth. That means where it chooses, where it prefers. It not only blows where, but it blows when it listeth. Wind can die down to a standstill. I grew up, as probably some of you did, before the time of air conditioning in homes. And uh, I remember... The old attic fan, and Dad would raise the windows at night to try to draw in some dust, I mean air. And uh, we'd get plenty of it. And I remember trying to sleep by the window to get some air at night. Or sitting out on the, on the uh, front porch 
on a hot, muggy night. and You just couldn't seem to even breathe. It was so hot. You would beg for, for God to send a little breeze because you're suffocating. We can't predict when that comes. We can't predict when the Holy Spirit will move either. I've sat under sound Bible preaching, orthodox fundamental preaching when you just sense nothing's going on. Nothing's going on. And then you sit under that same preacher later and the Spirit of God moves. We can't predict it. God is sovereign. You see, it's not always the preacher's problem. That could be, it could be if there's sin there somewhere, but it's not always there. And it's not always the people's problem. It's a matter of the sovereignty of God Almighty sending His Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, even when conditions seem right, the Spirit doesn't move. I can't explain that. But the Holy Spirit is just as sovereign as God the Father and God the Son. Isaiah 55, verse 6, Seek ye the Lord. Listen to it now. Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. Call ye upon Him while He is near. What's that talking about? It's when He's moving. It's when He's moving, you see. I believe a man can send away his day of grace. He can send away that time when he should be saved. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Proverbs 29, verse 1, He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. If there is the slightest breeze blowing across your heart, I want to tell you, you need to respond to that. Whether you're saved, whether you're lost, you need to be saved, or whether you're saved and God's moving you to do something, moving you to do something He's been trying to speak to you about, you need to obey the slightest breeze as God blows upon your heart. There's sovereignty in the Holy Spirit. There's also the sound of the wind. Number five, thou hearest the sound thereof. The wind creates a sound. It doesn't make a sound itself but it makes a sound in what it touches. It makes a sound in the wind, in the trees, and in the leaves. You can feel the wind upon your skin. I believe the Lord chose, thou hearest the sound thereof, because the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. The sound thereof. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You can't be saved apart from knowing the Gospel but you can know the gospel and not be saved. In fact, there are thousands and millions of people who know the gospel, and yet they're not saved. Jesus said to Nicodemus, the gospel's going out, and you've heard it, not just mentally, but now you've heard it. The gospel, listen, the gospel's not a plan. The gospel's a person. I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed. It's not just the Scripture speaking to you, it's the person behind the Scripture. Amen. He speaks to you, you see. When I was saved, as I said, I'd heard the Gospel many times. But that night, the night before, my sister called me. We were in revival. Junior Hill was preaching. Anybody ever heard Junior Hill preach? Great old Southern Baptist preacher. He was preaching, and God was moving. My sister, my older sister, was a deacon's wife. 
one of the finest ladies I've ever known. She called me two o'clock in the morning. Got me out of bed. She said to him, I just got saved. I said, Diane, I thought you were saved. She said, I did too. She said, but I read a message in the sword of the Lord. And God began to move on me. And I wasn't genuinely saved. And I just got saved. God began to work in my heart. If she isn't saved, I'm not sure about me. By the way, when revival begins to get on, when God speaks to your heart about giving a testimony, you need to give it. Because what God's done in your heart, God may be doing in many hearts. And it frees people up for God to work. That night, I heard the gospel and Christ became real to me. Number six, there, was de- there is dependency in the wind. Dependency. That was particularly true in Bible days. They depended on the wind. They didn't have the mechanical things that we have now. They used it for their sailing. They used it for their windmills. They used it to separate the wheat from the chaff. They used wind in many cases to do certain things. Nowadays, we've got so many mechanical inventions that the wind is often a nuisance to us. My wife complains about the wind for her hair. I'm sure you ladies are just like that too. The wind is a nuisance to us sometimes. I lived in Missouri for nearly four years in my first pastorate, and the wind is ferocious there. And it just, particularly in the summer times, blows dust everywhere in the the part of Missouri we lived. And it was just a nuisance to us. But not so in those days. People depended on it. It'd be good, I think, for us who take the wind for granted to be able to sail and see what, how we would be dependent if we didn't have a motor on the wind and to learn how dependent we would be. It would be good for us as preachers and teachers and church leaders to understand how helpless we are without the Holy Spirit of God. Sometimes we get very mechanical. We know how to do it. We've done it over and over and over again. But I remember the first time I taught a little boy's class, a little junior class. First time, I was 21 years of age. I begged God to help me. I was scared to death. Little junior boys, I was scared to death. I didn't like being up before anybody. I begged God. How much do we beg God now? You know, I believe God loves to hear us beg. Just follow it through the scriptures of how many times the people cried to the Lord. They cried and God heard their cries. Have you ever heard the cry of one of your children? Do you not go to their help when they cry for you? One of my children, back a couple of years ago, my youngest girl had a crisis come into her life and she called me one day. She said, Daddy, I need you. I need you. I was in the car going home from visitation. I 
turned my car around as fast as I could and got to the house where she was. When my children cry, I'm going to be there. And I'm going to tell you, when the Holy Spirit of God hears you cry, that you need Him, that you're dependent on Him, that you're helpless without Him, God hears that cry. When they were building the second temple, Zerubbabel said, it's not by might, nor by power, but it's by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And I want to tell you, if you're here tonight, and you're not saved, or you're not sure you're saved, it'll take the Holy Spirit. And if there's a move on your heart at all to come to Christ, then I beg you to obey the Holy Spirit of God. Number seven, there's power in the wind, and I finish. Anybody here ever been in a tornado? Or close to one? I come from Birmingham, Alabama, Tornado Alley. And I've experienced some tornadoes. Never a hurricane, but tornadoes. And I want to tell you, there's power in the wind. You take the wind when it's concentrated in one spot. It has tremendous power. And we've all seen what a tornado can do, what a hurricane can do. Billions of dollars worth of damage to cities are done by hurricanes. It has power, you see. And so the Holy Spirit of God can do in a church what we by our power can't do in years and years. And that was the reason people had revivals in the, in the years gone by because they saw what God can do in a small period of time when God comes in in the power of the Holy Spirit that what we've been trying to do for weeks and months and maybe years gets done almost overnight when the Holy Spirit of God puts His hand to it. When a tornado or hurricane comes, there's power to change. And when the Holy Spirit comes, the psalmist said, my people shall be willing in the day of my power. Things happen that we didn't have the willpower to make happen. John 1, 12 and 13. As many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. We often quote that verse. It gives the power to become the sons of God. But you know what the next verse says? As many as received in them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born, born again. Not of blood. That means you weren't born into the family of God the first time. It's not in the bloodline. Not of blood. Nor of the will of the flesh. That is, you didn't will to be saved. God came on you and helped your will nor the will of the flesh. Nobody else could be saved for you. Because they wanted you saved, they couldn't be saved for you. But of God. But of God. It has to be of the Holy Spirit of God. May God help us to be dependent on the wind of the Holy Spirit of God. May we pray together. Holy Spirit, the song says, breathe on me until my heart is clean. 
Let sunshine fill its inmost part with not a cloud between. Breathe on me. Would you pray it tonight? Breathe on me. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. Take thou my heart. Cleanse every part. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. And then would you pray this? Breathe on our church. Breathe on us, Lord. We want to see many people saved. Born into the kingdom of God. Changed from darkness to light. Breathe on us, O Lord. Breathe on us. Has God spoken to you about something tonight? Is He moving you? Have you been saved by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit of God? I witnessed to a young boy one day, and he said to me, he said, I made a profession of faith in a church, but nothing happened. I'm not saved. And I think there's a lot of people who've made professions of faith but down deep, they know something's missing. It's not real to them. If that's true of you, let God save you tonight. If God's, God may be calling some people here tonight to do some special things for you, perhaps to preach, perhaps to be a missionary, let's let God work in this invitation time. Well, I hope you enjoyed the message tonight by Dr. Dan Reed. That was our spring revival in 2018. And if there's ever been a preacher that uh, lives what he preaches, it's Dr. Dan Reed. And I hope that this message really blessed your heart, stirred your soul. Hope you made a decision in your heart to seek God for revival in this time that we need God so desperately. So thanks for tuning in and hope that you'll tune in tomorrow night.